Well, over the next seven weeks, we're going to delve into the book of Revelation. Yep, the last book of the Bible. And uh, I wonder how you feel about that. Uh, Maybe it fills you with a sense of dread, fear, trepidation. Uh, Maybe you're not worried at all because you've got it all worked out. Uh, you, you, you believe, you already know what the book of Revelation uh, uh, involves and it's familiar and you're comfortable. Uh, my encouragement as we come to this book is that we would check our preconceptions at the door. That we would prayerfully see uh, that this book uh, isn't something for us to dread, that it's something that we will be comforted by, uh, but also... Uh, for others, uh, that we would see together that we all have something to learn uh, from this wonderful book. Uh, That's the encouragement, and we do it prayerfully. It's also worth acknowledging up front that this book is controversial. We should own that. Uh, There's about four different ways of understanding the book. Um, All of them will say ours is the biblical view, Uh, and so when Christians take the moral high ground... Um, that, gets, that gets tricky and a bit potent. And I want to guard our hearts. We should guard our hearts about uh, that. We need to come to this book as brothers and sisters in Christ who trust in the victory that Jesus won, has won over sin, the world and the devil, but we're also trusting the victory to come. Let's own that together. I think we can agree on that and then we can work from there. Now, what are some of these approaches? Let me talk about... I'll talk about two very briefly. One is the, the view that uh, this is just a history book that records in code uh, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. It's just history and it has nothing to say about the future. Uh, so that's one view. Uh, as you can guess, I think that's an inadequate view. Uh, we should read, uh, we should take into account the context, absolutely, But that's not all there is. There's more to this book. Um, Another example I want to share with you is uh, is the opposite. It's not just history. uh, There are people that believe that it's just the future. That doesn't actually say anything about the past. It's all about the future. And it offers us a a futuristic timeline into what is to come. And so um, prevailing events or anticipated events that lie in the future are then forced into the symbolism and taken to be um, uh, prophecy, if you like. And so uh, the futuristic view will ask questions like, well, is the rise of China the beast that comes out of the earth in chapter 13? Or is the number 666, does that have anything to do with heavy metal bands or credit card numbers? And on it goes. And uh, that futuristic view is a big view. Um, they, they produce blockbuster movies, um, millions of books, all fictional, but all taken using, using the book of Revelation as a platform. And as you can guess, uh, I don't follow the purely historic view, the preterist view it's also called. called. And I, don't, I don't follow the, the exclusive futurist view either even though I have friends that do hold that position. Um, So the big question remains then, what is the book of Revelation about? If you have your Bibles open, we're going to explore this from the get-go. I'm going to give you an answer from the very beginning, uh, which is a bold claim. 
But have a think. What is the book of Revelation about? Cast your eye over those first three verses even, just for a moment. What is the book of Revelation about? What is the book of Revelation about? Is it about the last things as the futurist would have us believe? Is it about something we call the apocalypse? Well, there's a word. Our COVID-19 world is deemed apocalyptic, isn't it? It's a catastrophe, that's for sure, unless you're an introvert. Introverts are at home cheering on the inside, of course. But if you look up the word apocalypse in your dictionary, it will say... What do you think the word apocalypse means? Did you say the end of the world and the destruction of all things? That's what the dictionary says. The complete final destruction of the world as described in the book of Revelation. They're even quoting the Bible now. And that's how the English word is used today. But the biblical word for apocalypse, remember it's a Greek word. It doesn't mean what it means in English. The English borrowed it. They borrowed the word apocalypse, but it means something entirely different. Yeah, I did say that. The English word for apocalypse doesn't mean what the Greek word, the biblical word means, not even a little bit. Are you sure, Adam? Yeah, I'll show you. Apocalypse means an unveiling. Not destruction, an unveiling. A revelation, a lifting of the lid. It's kind of like MasterChef. You've seen the ads. What's the big mystery that lies under the, the, uh, the, the cloche? Uh, what's the big mystery that lies under the lid that's covering whatever's underneath? The, the contestants are looking. Ooh, what's in the mystery box? And then the judge will lift the lid and voila, there it all is. And the contestants go, ooh, ah. And we, the viewer, go, ooh, ah, something new. What would they make with that? And the mystery is revealed. A lifting of the lid. Who knew that MasterChef was apocalyptic? You didn't know that, did you? But you heard it first today. And why are we talking about this word apocalypse? Because we see it in Revelation chapter 1, the first couple of verses. Verse 1, the revelation the unveiling, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I hope you've got your Bible open so that you can follow and test what's being said. Notice there are three characters so far. We've got God, Jesus, and can you see it? His, his servants, that's right. And what is being shared is a revelation which must soon take place. And in verse 2, notice the narrative zooms in. Tighter focus. Uh, He, I take it to be Jesus, made it known by sending his angel and messenger to his servant, John. So see the pattern. God speaks something to Jesus, gives it to Jesus. Jesus speaks. He gives it to the angel. The angel speaks, gives it to John. That's the conduit. Which means that when we keep reading this book and you read about God speaking or Jesus speaking or the angel, think about the conduit and that's all the same thing lest we get really confused. I hope that's helpful. And 
Now John, because he's one of the servants, remember, in verse 1. Well, in verse 2, he's going to testify to everything he sees. And what does he see? What, what, as the lid is lifted, what is being unveiled? What is being apocalypsed? That's the question. And here is the key to what the book is about. What does he see? You've probably said the answer already. You're right. The word of God. The testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, without trying to confuse our senses, how do you see the word of God and the testimony of Jesus? Well, who wrote this all down for us? Was it John? Verse 9 tells us it was a man called John. And if this is the Apostle John, I'm happy with that. How does John's gospel begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You've said it already. And he was with God in the beginning, and on it goes. And who is the Word? We know the Word is God incarnate. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. And so the Sunday school kids are right. Jesus is the answer. Here is God pulling the curtains back and he's unveiling to John and he's unveiling to his servants. That's, that's us. He's unveiling to us his son Jesus. The book of Revelation is going to show us Jesus. It's really as simple as that. It's not any harder than that. Which means that if you're not reading Revelation in a way that unveils something of the life, the work, the suffering, or even the reign of the risen Jesus and his victory now, or the victory to come, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, then you're not reading this book right. If Jesus is not at the centre, you're not doing it right. And verse 2 makes it abundantly clear. See that God gives us here an apocalypse of his son. He shows us something and he will show us things about Jesus. Jesus sent a stage in our world as uh, he does uh, business with the devil, so to speak, as his servants are involved, his church. We're going to see things that we might be otherwise blind to. That's why it's called an apocalypse. It's an unveiling. A drawing back of curtains that shows us something from God's perspective. Let's not forget that part. This is God's perspective. And so as we prepare to read this book together, are you ready for that? Are you ready to see Jesus in a new way, a fresh way, a way that God presents to us in this book? And will we grow in Christ on account of reading this book? There's a prayer for this week. Father God, I pray that as I read the book of Revelation, that I'll grow in Christ and my church family will grow in Christ. Amen. Now, there are some tips I want to offer as we start this book. Now, there are some tips I want to offer as we start this book.
Uh, notice tip number one is very simple. Here it is. There is no S in the book of Revelation. Read the title. There's no S. Don't use it. That'd be great. Thanks. Notice number two. The language is highly symbolic. This is called apocalyptic literature. Uh, it is symbolic literature, which means it's a mistake to read this book literalistically. The symbolic pictures God uses here are a vehicle to communicate important truths to us and to the church throughout all of history and to the original hearers. But they're symbols, we need to remember, they're symbols that the original audience would have had little problem with, I think. But for us, they're foreign, so we've got to work a bit harder. It also means that because of the grand symbolism, you don't stand too close to it. You don't let the detail preoccupy you lest you lose the big overall picture. I mean, we, that's the way we engage with art. We might step close for a little bit, but overall we step back and we take it all in. And I think that's what we need to do in the book of Revelation, lest we miss the point. Uh, remember that the symbols picture something that is real, but often the Bible will tell us what it means. So in chapter 1, here's an example. It will talk about stars and lampstands in chapter 1, and we go, huh? what does that mean? Uh, what do they symbolise? And by the end of chapter 1, we are told. So there's something for you to do uh, after this. Go and find out. What are the stars and lampstands? What do they symbolise? Numbers are similar. The number seven will turn up a lot, man, a lot. But seven isn't to be only understood numerically. Seven also symbolises fullness and completeness. The number four will turn up. Four's not so hard because we know the concept of the four corners of the earth. And and, and so the number four, it just symbolises the earth and all that is in the earth. That's not so hard. Number 12 turns up a lot. We'll come to that another time. But see in this symbolism, what we call contrasting parallelism. For example, see a godly woman persecuted in chapter 12 and then see the pristine bride of Christ in chapter 21. So you're putting those pictures together and then the contrast, the drama comes really when it's parallel with the great harlot, the prostitute, in chapter 17. And we all go, hmm, that's terrible. And so let your imagination capture these images and put them together and compare them and contrast them. Notice many of the symbols are drawn from the Old Testament. Babylon, tree of life, the temple, the plagues, Eden, Jezebel, if you know her. And get familiar with them as vehicles of communication. Remember that. Which brings us to hint number three. So that was symbols. Hint number three is the setting. This is written in a Roman world uh, filled with um, the worship of Caesar or emperor worship. And it is a time of persecution for Christians. Um, I think it follows the destruction of of the temple in AD 70 
And so if that is true, it's little wonder that Rome is likened to Babylon, because that's what Babylon did in the Old Testament, isn't it? So it follows. Hint number four. This is really important. Learn the layout. Full of repetition as you read it. There's a reason for that. And I think because there's so much repetition, you can't read it as a timeline, as some might be tempted to do. I think we need to read it as it's described. It's a vision. It's a revelation, an apocalypse of Jesus. And we're being shown Jesus from different perspectives, different views, different camera angles, if you like. So let me give you an example. Here's an image of the same thing. And again, and you're getting a glimpse, and here it is in its fullness. And I think this is how the book rolls. This is God saying here, here's Jesus at the centre. And as Jesus is at the centre, look at the perspective um, as you now see the world and the devil and the church from this angle and so on. One commentator puts it like this. Revelation is a picture book, not a puzzle book. And so don't become preoccupied with the isolated details. He says, rather, become engrossed with the overall story. So praise the Lord, cheer for the saints, detest the beast, long for the final victory. And so it's a great invitation to see the characters, to see Jesus, yes, and see the devil and his minions, the beast, the dragons, the world powers and the like. And, but also see, what was the other character? The church. You. It's Christ's church, his people, holy ones in the thick of battle. Making mistakes, getting it wrong. But in the end, uh, uh, perfection. This is a story of Christ and his church existing in the world. And it will keep pointing us to what Christ has done now. The victory now, yeah, and what that means now, 100%. But also it's about the victory to come. That final victory that must soon take place. And so this is the message of revelation with Jesus at the centre. Victory now, victory to come. That final victory. Not when the world ends. And the lights go out. Is that how the Bible ends? If the book of Revelation uh, really is about the apocalypse and the end of the world, why does the end of Revelation uh, end with a new beginning? When everything is made new and when the new Eden is brought in and a new creation. You see it again. And so verse 3 of our text today, let's finish. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy... It's God's word, remember. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And so, brothers and sisters, let us hear this. Let us take it to heart. Uh, Let's be growing in Christ as we absorb this magnificent picture of what Christ is doing in this world with his church and what he's going to do. And let us be comforted as we look at all of that. Let us be comforted and let us rejoice and let us praise the Lord for his victory now and the victory to come. Amen.